Good morning. Welcome to those that are visiting with us today. We're so glad that you're here with us. Uh, welcome to you, my brethren. We're here to worship God, and I'm so thankful that you're here. Uh, Ken and Norma Jean are out of town. They're in Florida, and so they'll be attending the gospel, uh, excuse me, the Florida College Lectures. And so Ken has asked me to present a lesson in his absence. As we discussed last month, our focus for this year as a congregation is becoming like Christ. And we are concentrating our efforts to improve on 12 virtues that will help us become more like Jesus. Last month, we focused on loving like Jesus loved. And this month, we're going to be focusing on joy as a fruit of the Spirit, as recorded in Galatians 5.22. The idea of seeking after happiness is nothing new. I would imagine that each one of us in this auditorium today engages in activities we believe will bring about more happiness in our lives. Does it surprise you that God tells us that one of the many fruit that we bring forth in our lives as a Christian is that of joy? One may ask, well, how can this be the case when happiness is something that I feel and oftentimes a result of external circumstances beyond my control? I tell you, that's a great question and one that we want to address right from the start. The joy we are to develop in our lives as Christians is disconnected from our physical circumstances. Yes, it is one that springs forth from the recognition of the great blessings we have in Christ and in our eternal destination, which is eternal life with God in heaven. Brethren, we must remember that we are heading somewhere. We truly are joyful pilgrims as we've been seeing on this earth. And we're on our way to heaven where we will for live forever in the presence of God and enter into the joy of our Lord. Matthew 5, 21. Joy as a fruit of the Spirit is an attitude. And it supersedes our circumstances. It goes beyond what we feel. It goes beyond our suffering. It's an amazing, achievable attitude that requires faith and courage to accomplish. Joy has several close companions two of which are contentment and satisfaction with what God has provided both physically and literally. The word translated joy in Galatians 5.22 is from a Greek word, chara, which means rejoicing, merriness, joy, and refers to that general disposition of spirit that shows true happiness that is not dependent on our own outward circumstances in life. This is the reason Paul could write the following from a Roman prison. To the Philippian brethren in Philippians 2, 17-18. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all for the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. The phrases I am glad and be glad are from the same word, Shara. Paul is glad to offer himself up in service to the brethren, which would mean hardship. It would mean suffering and persecution, yet he was glad. He had joy. This helps me understand the idea, and I hope it does you too. Joy is not dependent on our own outward circumstances. Sacrificing oneself for the brethren and joy can actually coexist together. They're not exclusive of one another. So please take your Bible in hand, or if you don't have one, find one in the songbook rack there in front of you, as we go through some scriptures that will help us understand more about the sometimes misunderstood concept of Christian joy. Let's first notice some other things that exist with joy from the Scriptures. Fear and joy can exist together too. They're not exclusive of one another. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, after the angel at the tomb of Jesus, told them that Jesus had been resurrected, experiencing fear and joy. Matthew 28, 8. 
So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. Tribulation and joy can exist together. First, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 7, 4 through 5. 2 Corinthians 7, 4 through 5. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulations. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. Yet he had joy. The brethren in Judea were joyful in the midst of their goods being plundered by the Roman officials. We're told in Hebrews 2, excuse me, Hebrews 10, 32 through 34. It says there that they were joyfully accepted the, the plundering of their goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Not only can tribulation and joy exist together, we're actually commanded to count it all joy when we suffer trials. In James 1, 2 through 4, James 1, 2 through 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You see, if we're going to be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, we're going to have to let patience have its perfect work, counting in all joy when we fall into these various trials. Can you remind me of this when I'm going through some trials? Don't we need to be reminded sometimes of this? This is a good reminder. Are those times hard for you? They're hard for us. It's hard to be joyful. Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 5, 11 through 12, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's listen to Jesus as he reminds us of our reward. Remembering our reward helps. It helps me. I hope it helps you. Sorrow and joy can exist together as well. They're not exclusive of one another. Sorrows in this life may come in many forms. The death of a loved one, a family member who's gone astray, brethren who sin against us, circumstances at work, or even a job loss, the unfaithfulness of a spouse, sickness or pain in our bodies. There's so many sources of sorrow. Yet joy can exist. Paul describes himself in 2 Corinthians 6.10. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, and yet possessing all things. Isn't that amazing? Sorrows will come, but that shouldn't rob us of our joy in the Lord. This is not an easy thing that we're talking about, is it? It's not easy. So we're going to have to work on this. We're going to have to apply some focused effort to improve on this during the month of February as one of our goals in becoming more like Christ. Also, long-suffering and joy can exist together. They're not exclusive of one another. Paul, as he writes to the Colossians about his prayers for them, he says in Colossians 1, I'm going to read verses 10 and 11, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. When you think about long-suffering, you associate joy with that? We can have joy in the Lord even while suffering, even while suffering long. Joy is found in finishing the course. Yes, that's right. Finishing the course, meaning death. Death and joy can exist together. They're not exclusive of one another. 
Jesus found joy in the completion of his earthly life having served to accomplish the mission he was given. He obeyed the will of the Father. We see that recorded in Hebrews 12, 1-2. Paul says it was, he says it this way when speaking to the elders from Ephesus that he had gathered in Miletus in Acts 20, 22-25. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await for me, but none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself, so I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. He was going, he knew, to the end. His life was nearing the end. Yet, he wasn't going to face it without joy. He was going to face it with joy. We must not let anything that opposes our faithful service to the Lord or any trial that we face take away our joy. Even death can be faced with joy in the Lord. So now that we understand a little bit better what this type of joy is, the next logical question for me anyway is, how do I produce that kind of joy? How do I get that kind of joy? How do I get that kind of joy that exists in all times, whenever I'm in fear or tribulation or sorrow or long-suffering or even at the point of my death? How can I get that? We look in Ecclesiastes at what the preacher, whom I believe was Solomon, seeking in his grand experiment regarding living life under the sun without regarding fully what lies beyond the, the, the grave. Joy and happiness, satisfaction were his pursuits, and he pursued it with all of his might, treasure, wisdom, and power. There would be no other man on earth who could have pursued these with more capacity than Solomon. Solomon pursued wealth, achievement, success, pleasure, passion, education, and fame to degrees that would dwarf that of any of our own generation. And to, what, and to what end? He discovered that none of these without a recognition of God as supreme and without obedience to His will would not give Him satisfaction. So why would I or you keep trying to repeat these things and seeking after the ultimate satisfaction fulfillment without God in mind <clears throat> when the same results are going to be true? We have not yet completely trusted in God when we do that, uh, but we should and we can. Let's read Solomon's conclusion, which is familiar to most here. Ecclesiastes 12, 8 through 14. Ecclesiastes 12, 8 through 14. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words and what was written and what was upright, words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by these of making many books, there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep His commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. See, the first thing we must recognize in order to obtain the joy that we've been talking about and satisfaction in life, God is king. God is king. We are God's humble servants. And we've been given a work to perform while here on this earth. God has designed us with the ability and even more the propensity to have joy when we follow His will. It is pleasant to do God's will. It is rewarding to do His will. It is what we were meant to do. Ephesians 2.10 says we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand 
that we should walk in him. Doesn't it make sense that if we are his workmanship, in other words, what God created and formed, that he would create us to be perfectly suited to the work he has for us to do? When a designer makes a tool or a computer program is designed by a software engineer, isn't the mission to make something that will do the job well? Yes, that's the mission. What better designer is there than God? There is no better designer than him. There is no one better. So when God prepared good works for us to do beforehand, he created us suited to them so that when we walk in them, it would be good for us to walk in them as his creation. Christianity is a religion of service to our master, which means love for others enough to serve them like he did and as he commanded. Our Christian walk is not one of promoting oneself, glorifying oneself, or lavishing oneself. It's about service. It's about serving others. I want to thank you, so many of you, who have served as an example of service to me and to others in our flock. You continue to teach me so much about how I ought to serve. Please keep up the good work you're doing. That's where true joy is produced. And the life of a Christian is service to our Master. That's where it is. Our society has taught us to be focused on what we want, on what our abilities are, what we can achieve for ourselves, who we can control, what we can acquire. I'm telling you, if we're seeking joy in self, you won't find it. You're missing the mark. Joy is found in the Lord. That's where joy is. If I am to become like Christ, I must learn to live a life of joy in God's ways and abiding in His will. Let's look at John 15. John 15, 4 through 11. Jesus speaks here and says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch, is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so that you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you, and abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, why? That my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. We must remain connected to the vine in order to bear the fruit of joy in our lives. It is a vital spiritual lifeline. We've got to keep that which the Lord has commanded us. Why did Jesus speak these things to his disciples? That his joy may remain in us and that our joy may be full. 1 John 1.4, the Apostle John writes, And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. God wants our joy to be full. Jesus wants our joy to be full. If we want our joy to be full, it's absolutely necessary that we remain in the vine, which is Jesus, and follow all that he's commanded. Some may wonder why Christians, and especially why members of our congregation, are so desirous of learning what God's word is and why we want to talk about keeping his word. Well, our hearts love Jesus. That's why we love Jesus. And we want to love the way he loved, keeping his commandments. 
Brethren, let's not ever shove aside the word of God and replace it with our own opinions, following our own heart and fulfilling our own desires and thinking that's going to produce joy. It's not. That's not where it is. Understanding who God is and what he has done for us helps us to develop joy. There are so many reasons we could, we could talk about here that would cause us to have joy arising from our gratitude for God's love for us, for his salvation he's given those that have obeyed his gospel, the great reward that awaits us in heaven, for Christ sacrificing himself on the cross, for peace we have with God. The list could go on. These reasons why we should be joyful should be overwhelmingly obvious to those of us who are Christians, shouldn't they? They're just obvious. We have so many reasons to be joyful. We understand what Christian joy is supposed to be. We understand that God is the king and we are his willing servants. So with the time that we have remaining, I want to focus on how, how we become joyful that sometimes eludes us. When we bring joy to others, we in turn have joy within ourselves. This is just how we're wired. We're wired by God to be servants. This is part of becoming like Christ. If you stop serving others, you will struggle to have joy. Let's remember the example of Jesus. Let's look at John 13, 12. John 13, 12. Jesus is gathering with his disciples there. He requires them to allow Jesus to wash their feet. He requires it. He says in verse 12 of John 13, So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You want to be blessed? You want to be joyful? Be a servant. Serve others. Follow the example of Christ. Become like him in our, our level of service. So I want to talk about some ways that I can produce joy in my life. If you could advance the slide for me, I'd appreciate it. <clears throat> How can we help others have joy? How can we help others repent of our sins? This may sound somewhat self-serving, but I assure you joy is brought into the lives of your brethren when you and I repent of our sins. There are family members and other brothers and sisters in Christ who have chosen to cease serving God. That if they would repent would bring me great joy in my life. You likely have some of those same situations somewhere in your family or a, 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 a family member in the church of Christ that has gone away that if that person would just repent, what joy would fill your heart, wouldn't it? Joy is brought forth in repentance, not only here, but in heaven as well. Luke 15.10 reads, likewise I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. It's a joyful occasion. Taking care of our sins brings us back into that relationship with God. Some of these sins might require that we apologize to someone or go to them and confess sin and ask them to forgive us. This is vitally important that we're, we're even instructed that we should take care of this ahead of worshiping God. And Matthew 5.22 uh, looking in verse 23 there, Matthew 5, 23, it says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. It's important. The guilt of sin is a major reason why people lack joy. 
during the time of King David's sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah the Hittite, he had subsequent guilt over his sin. He lost his joy, as we're told in Psalm 32, 1 through 11. But when he found forgiveness, the joy was restored. We will find joy in forgiveness, both receiving it and giving it. If there are things that you need to repent of, do it today so you can be right with God and experience joy and bring joy to others. I have yet to be at a worship service at this congregation when someone came forward and there wasn't an overpouring of joy as people line up to hug that person and tell them how, how much they're rejoicing for them for repenting. Have you ever seen it any other way here? I haven't. The same would happen today. If you choose to repent, there would be joy amongst our brethren. Another way you can pray for others that will bring them joy. Jesus prayed for his disciples and for you and me, in fact. And his prayer was for our joy to be fulfilled. And if you look at John 17, that great prayer of our Savior, John 17, verse 13, he says, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And skip down to verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they will all, excuse me, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me. Paul prayed for his brethren with joy. It is a joyful petition that we can make on behalf of our brethren. So how often do we pray for our brethren outside of this assembly? Do we pray for our brethren when we're at home and, and about our week? Or is this the only time we ever make petitions on behalf of our brethren? I'll tell you, it'll, it'll bring you joy and it'll help them have joy as you pray for them. Uh, Philippians 1, 3 through 5 says, I thank my God every, upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. It's a joyful thing. If you've ever worshipped in an area um, where there weren't very many Christians, and then you look and see you have 200 faithful brethren that you can pray for, that you have uh, a supplication to make for, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. Uh, Paul was praying this prayer in Philippians 1, 3, 5 that he speaks about while he was in prison. His present circumstances were not good, but he had joy praying for his brethren. Another way we can bring joy to our brethren is showing tolerance for one another in matters of conscience or opinion. We can allow joy to flourish here as it should among ourselves in the kingdom of God. It says in Romans 14, 15 through 17, Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You see, tolerating one another's opinions when God's word allows for liberty in an area or um, respecting the conscience of others brings joy. It brings joy to each other when we do that. Also, excelling in our genuine faith, walking in the truth, brings joy to others as well. Paul tells the Thessalonians that their faith brought him joy. If you look at 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 19, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 19, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and our joy. Isn't it wonderful to worship with brethren who maybe you've taught the gospel? You've taught the gospel and now they're worshiping together and you have that family relationship and you see their genuine faith and you see them walking in the truth. Doesn't that bring you immense joy? That's a joyful occasion that we have brethren that are faithful and genuine following the truth. 
Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, 4-5, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. What was it about Timothy that brought him joy? His genuine faith. That works the same way today. Our genuine faith will bring others joy. I'm joyful when I see genuine faith in others. I know you are too. Parents, children, grandparents, friends, there is no greater gift that you can give a loved one than to be found as having genuine faith. To be found walking in the truth. Let's bring joy to our families. And and make sure in turn we create a joyful life for ourselves by excelling in our faith and zeal for God. Spending time with brethren can also encourage spiritual growth and bring joy. Paul prays that he may see the brethren there in Thessalonica again so that he might encourage them. Paul's brethren were his joy. They were called his joy and his crown. There is joy that comes from Christian association in the assembly and sharing times together, fellowship with one another outside of here. If you're not spending any time with Christians outside of this building, you're missing out on one of the greatest joys that you can have. If it's just coming here and worshiping, then leaving and never seeing another brother or sister in Christ during the week or communicating with them in any way, that's a missed opportunity to encourage joy amongst ourselves. Also, obeying those who have rule over you. Uh, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. For, what, for that would be unprofitable for you. I can tell you, elders face many challenges that can rob them of their joy and bring grief. A congregation that does not submit to their rule as overseers not only may discourage those that are serving in that capacity, but sometimes remove their desire to serve altogether. Remember, elders serve voluntarily. They're not under compulsion. Let's not take the want right out of them, but submit to them in love elders also submit to each other tim and jimmy and myself we're submissive to one another we submit to each other christ is the head of this church we are merely shepherds we're merely overseers we're merely serving to the best of our ability as men who are doing our best according to his will and not our own so let's let's give the elders joy in their service encourage them by being submissive i'm, I'm not asking you to of course violate doctrine i would never do that i'm talking about areas of judgment possibly be submissive to them in their judgment that'll bring them joy if you'll follow sharing the gospel with others when the gospel is shared and others receive it and obey it great joy is brought into their lives it also brings joy to the one who delivered it to them all of us who are christians here were taught by someone someone taught us the gospel Do you remember when you obeyed the gospel? The joy that you had? It was overwhelming. It should sustain. It doesn't have to go away. It can sustain. Teaching others how we ourselves gain that joy is a wonderful way to infuse joy into our own lives. Remember the reaction of the eunuch when Philip taught him the gospel? In Acts 8.38, So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized them. Now when they had come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. So the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. He was happy. He was glad. He was joyful. This was something that no one could take away from him. Remember Paul and Silas even singing praises to God while in jail? 
in Philippi, took the opportunity to share the gospel with their own jailer. Even when they were persecuted, Christians then rejoiced that they were, they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name when teaching the gospel in Acts 5.41. We can find joy in obeying and sharing the gospel with others. There is no greater gift that you can convey to someone than that salvation. I tell you, it's amazing whenever you see people obey the gospel and you see the joy in their life. As they repent of all those sins, their lives are functioning more the way God intended for them to function. They're rejoicing with the brethren. They're worshiping with the brethren. It's joy. It is joy. We can find that joy too. There's no greater gift that we can give than that. Let's look as we close here at John 16, 22. You and I are the only ones that can truly squash our joy in the faith. John 16, 22 says, Therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. No one can take it away unless you just give it away and you stop serving. I hope this lesson this morning has brought you to remembrance some practical ways to increase your joy in the Lord this very month. You can start today and have a lot more joy if you want it. And you can help us all have joy. So I'm going to ask you a question here. Have you lost your joy? Have you lost it? Have you stopped serving others? Truly make Jesus the Lord of your life again. Serve Him. Begin serving others that you may find joy. This is what Jesus wanted us to do. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Ask that your joy may be made full. Paul writes that joy is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's the natural byproduct when you let Jesus be the Lord of your life. So I would ask of you, if you have need to repent of sin, you'll be met with joy in receiving you. Christ is ready to forgive you if you need to repent. If you need to obey the gospel, be baptized into Christ, it would be a joyful occasion, I can assure you. We would be joyful, you would be joyful. It'll be the best decision that you've ever made. So if you have a need that we can help you with, we ask that you come right now as we stand together and sing.